The date is June 24, 2016, and this is Episode 2 of the MechaCast. Today we're going to be covering Episodes 2 and 3 of Mobile Suit Gundam. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you'd like to field to the show, you can reach us at themechacast at gmail.com. You can follow us on SoundCloud or Stitcher, and please rate us on iTunes. I'm Donovan. And this is Matt. And let's start with our summaries. So, Episode 2, Destroy Gundam. Our episode begins with Captain Cassius getting injured from an explosion. A cadet named Ryu takes his place on the guns. The remaining Xeon pilot returns to his ship to make his report on the battle to Shar. He reports to his superior, Dozel Zabi. The next scene shows Frabo helping evacuees onto the ship. After she assists three children on board, a woman, Sela, asks her to help aid with the captain's injuries. Wright is there and gives a damage report. Most of the engineers and soldiers have been killed by this point. A woman named Mirai volunteers to pilot the ship since she has commercial experience. On the Xeon ship, Dozel Zabi is disappointed that Char couldn't make it to a celebration of his victories. Char explains the situation and asks for a resupply. Wright and Cassius discover that Amro is the one piloting the Gundam. They're surprised to find that he's just a kid. Meanwhile, Sela, Frabo, and Ryu look for more survivors. Char decides to investigate the base himself. As he looks over the Federation's components, Sela stumbles across him as she looks for more survivors. She holds him at gunpoint but is distracted when he removes his mask. He gets away as she wonders if he's her brother. Amro destroys the remaining parts as Char infiltrates the white base. He manages to escape, but his evidence was shot upon fleeing. Amuro attempts to shoot, but can't due to the small size of the target. Zeon launches mobile suits, and Amuro and Ryu manage to hold Char and his men off with the Gundam and Core Fighter. Episode 3 is Vote to Attack. The White Base is fleeing to Luna 2, a Federation stronghold, but with Char still in pursuit, they are left with a choice to attack or try to outrun the Zeon forces. On the move side, Char finds he is unable to get the quality supplies he had requested. Realizing that Char's ship is resupplying, the crew of the White Base decide to launch an attack. Amro and Ryu successfully disrupt the resupply, but Char proves to be too fast for Amro. Kai and Hayato, unable to get a clear shot from the White Base, proceed to go out in the gun tank. Despite their best efforts, the commander of the resupply ship gets the Zaku's transfer to Char before Amro cuts him down. Having delayed Char, however, the white base manages to flee to Luna too. So, a lot going on in these two episodes. Very action-oriented with them fleeing Char's forces. Mm-hmm. We still haven't gotten any downtime yet in an episode. But it's understandable at this point. Yeah, you wanna you wanna always start a series to me always starts better whenever you start with you know a bang rather than a whimper. So with a lot of things going on, it's I guess more interesting in that regard. Yeah, yeah, especially because it does get slow at some point. So all right, so some of the themes we're going to explore with episode two, and, and our main theme, in fact, is. Rising to the call. There's a lot of situations in episode two where characters are forced to just take on responsibilities that they didn't think they were, or mainly just not not soldiers becoming, uh, you know, getting into these situations. Right. Many of them are civilians coming from backgrounds that 
are only loosely related to the Giants will eventually take over. Yeah. And they've got to step up big time, both for their survival and the survival of those around them. Our key example here is Amra. He's the main one. He's the main character. And it's his actions in the Gundam that save everyone's lives more than once over the course of the next two episodes. Without him, there's no way. They couldn't have gotten away. But there's several other characters in this episode who get their uh, spot in the limelight. Uh, first, we have Frappo, who's both helping with injuries and looking for survivors. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting for her because she's coming fresh off the grief of her own parents' death. She just saw him get killed, and she still manages to find it in herself to be a help. Yeah, yeah, I agree. She's, uh... Everybody you know, from the colony is dealing with a lot of things here, and I think it's just g- crazy that any of them could could do anything just to help or just be any kind of help, especially seeing that stuff. I know I wouldn't be in any situation to do anything. Right, and it says a lot about their character that many of them are able to forego those sort of tragedies they're dealing with and focus on the job in front of them. Mm-hmm. Bright especially, his commanding officers in bed next to him. And while he can still give orders to some degree, it's up to Bright to really take control of things and make sure everything runs as smoothly as possible. Yeah, and if we remember from the first episode, Bright is 19 years old. I am older than Bright. I could never imagine running a ship full of, not even a ship full of trained soldiers, a ship full of civilians who kind of do things related to what we need to be done on the ship so we don't die from what we find out in this episode is an ace pilot who's coming after them. And he's hunting them relentlessly. Yeah. Not only is he an ace pilot, he's good looking, he's strong, no. But, <laughs> but he's a ruthless commander. He knows what he's doing as far as yeah. tactical work. It's not that he can go out and pilot himself, but he also knows how to position his men and to do the best with his crew. So you've got an inexperienced commander in Bright and a very experienced one in Char, and they're Mm -hmm. coming head-to-head here. Yeah. Other people who sort of rise to the call in this episode, one is Mirai, which we don't know too much about her. The only thing we do know is she was flying Boeing (laughs) 747s, and now she's piloting the white base. Yeah. (laughs) One-to-one. Right. She has experience in commercial piloting, so she offers her help to Bright, who, at the time, he's desperate looking for options. Yeah. I think he says that all but, there's all but ten men uh, in, in fighting condition at this point, or in um, helping condition, um, and that all the other military personnel, both soldiers and engineers, have died at some point in the attack, or, or MIA. And there's a couple of uh, ancillary characters like Kai, who Sela and Frabo um, find during their look for survivors. He's just coming in to the base, completely ignoring them as they're trying to help an injured man into the base. And Sela stops him. She gives him a smackdown, a verbal slap, so to speak, and uh, tells him, hey, quit being such a coward. And he's just like, uh, there's explosions out there. I'm getting on the ship. No, yeah, I really... They're way too hard on Kai in the show, and he ends up being a really cool character in Zeta Gundam 2. But, yeah, I can't 
I sympathize the most probably with Kai. It's like, there are people dying. Let me get on the super battleship and go hide somewhere. And hopefully when we're going to be taken over by the enemy at some point, because we're so inexperienced, maybe I can get them to spare me at least or be some kind of prisoner of war, hopefully. Like, he's he realizes, like, there's a slim-to-none chance of us getting out of this. So, like I said, I, I really sympathize a lot with Kai. <laughs> and um, Sayla's another character we're introduced in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think we may have seen a glimpse of her in episode one, but this is our full-on introduction to her. Yeah. And while we don't get a lot about her character or personality, we do see that she's got a relationship of some sort with Char. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go off on a limb and say that they might be siblings. I don't want to speculate too hard. No, I won't say any any actual facts um, that come later. So I mean, he I'll, does potentially uh, uh, think she might be his sister, and she does reminisce that you know, he could possibly be her brother. But I mean, let's be honest: what are the odds? What are the chances? <laughs> yeah, um, and but. Sayla, too, is, uh, I think it's worth noting, not just that instance in the episode, but also the fact that she she is a really strong character. She's the one, unlike Kai, who's like, wow, this whole situation is terrible, and I need to save my own skin. She takes the initiative to, we need to help all these people. It looks like she's been in this kind of situation before. She has a cool head. Right. Um, Even when Bright, to some degree, seems like he's struggling to make the correct decisions, Mm -hmm. she's all about it. She knows what to do next. She knows what she's going to do, and she does everything she can to help the situation, Mm -hmm. whether that be looking for survivors or trying to suture um, Captain Cassius's wounds. She's Mm -hmm. there doing everything she can. Which I think, despite um, how hard she is on Kai, does make an interesting foil to him. Compared to Sayla, Kai does look a little bit like an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, well, and she's being hard for a reason, too. It's not that she's just being this uh, just mean person, you know, for no reason. She, because, like, these people are startled and she realizes the only way she's going to get anybody to do anything is to yell at them, to hit them. Right. Um, she even does it to Fraubo. I help with this. There's always an urgency to yeah. how she acts. And Fraubo, without question, goes and she helps her tend to the captain's wounds. But beyond these uh, these separate character moments, there's not a whole lot going on in this episode as far as one-to-one plot. Um, Char goes into the base. He's looking. He's still on his recon mission. He's still trying to figure out what this secret project is, which we know is the Gundam and the White Base. And he gets a close-up encounter with it. After everyone gets on the White Base and they make their way out in the space for the first time, we've got our first battle in space, and it's pretty cool to see how it works out. Oh, and we're also introduced to uh, Char Zaku, which, of course, this man's got his own custom... Of course, yeah. And I don't know if there's anything other than the cosmetic differences. I guess we need to look at the the wikia again. Uh-huh. But I, I'm pretty sure it's also the faster. Ma- the mechanical specs. Yeah, I think it's it's faster. He's running 12 gigahertz. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> How many times faster do you think? Uh, if you had to speculate. I don't know. Just Three like, times faster. <laughs> I'm not sure. But like... Probably, I'm thinking regular Zaku's like a Ford Fusion. Uh, Char Zaku thinking like a, a 
a more expensive a sports car, a mid-tier sports car, I'm yeah. thinking. Mm. Okay, yeah, that works for me. <laughs> That's a good conspiracy. <laughs> but from a de- design perspective, it, it helps um, distinguish that that's him and it's instant. Uh, it serves its purpose well. You know that yeah. Char suit, one, because, well, he had the red jumpsuit and he also now has the uh, red Zaku. Yeah. And there's a clear difference between him and his men. And it leads, you know, you can't have a name like the Red Common if your mobile suit's not red. Of course, yeah. It does a lot of things visually that you don't have to say about Char through his red mobile suit. And from design, that's always what you're trying to do. Animation is a lot about showing and not telling. In a lot of ways, I think people who are filming live-action television and stuff are more limited than animators due to the fact animators can pull off shots and tell things through their camera work that you can't necessarily do in live-action TV because everything's real and based in reality. Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely something to that. But you can draw things into into animation and anime, which... um, can differentiate it immediately to the eyes and through association. I think there's also something interesting to say, too, about everything is drawn in animation, uh, to just kind of go off your point. And so everything, whereas in a film where uh, a particular location might have been filmed for convenience or because it was cheap, everything in animation has to be drawn, so everything is deliberate. If it's if the Zaku's red, it's red for a reason. It was there's these were all conscious design choices, unlike maybe a film where you can say, well, maybe that was the easiest way to do this scene, or maybe this is what they had to work with at the time. And I'm not saying that great directors and cinematographers can't. Do oh that. no, no, they can also do that stuff too. But animation, I feel, has a lot more freedom in that regard. Yeah, a lot more of uh, you can put down somewhat exactly what the artist or the director or whoever's in charge has in mind. His, it's more conducive to portraying, um, I guess, a whole thought. Right. So with episode three, since we're just going to move right into it here, one of the main themes of episode three is really the inexperience of the crew, and it's mentioned several times throughout the episode. Which is a nice contrast to the episode before, when we have everybody sort of coming into their own. Right. There's some. There's always going to be some bad with the good, so while they're all learning their new jobs, and to some degree or another being successful at them, you're going to have your setbacks, and there's plenty of them in this episode. I think the first is the uh, sort of title of the episode, The Vote to Attack. They're fleeing, they're on the run, and they're trying to make it to the Luna 2 base. And suddenly it occurs to several people on the crew, hey, we have a chance to get away if we attack Char. We got away last time unscathed, and we'd have the element of surprise on us. They see he's resupplying uh, from another ship, so they have an opportunity here. So Bright, being the command or the current commanding officer of the ship, with the captain somewhat out of commission, says, "Hey, let's leave it up to a vote." I mean, I could just order everyone here to go attack, mm-hmm. but and that's what I want to do. But let's leave it up to a vote. <laughs> and for the most part, everyone except one or two people decides attacking would be the best option here. 
But it is kind of ridiculous that that's what it comes to. Let's vote to attack. Yeah, it's, wow, uh, a good old democratic decision there is is great for, uh, to... Writes public appeal. Yeah, sort of leading a group well in maybe an office setting or a government setting, but in this case, it's everybody's lives are on the line. We have to make these split-second decisions or else we're dead. We don't need to be voting on this stuff, especially with people who aren't soldiers. Yeah. As, I mean, as you're a captain for a reason. I know he's not a captain yet. He's just an ensign. Mm-hmm. But you're an officer for a reason. Yeah. They expect you to make these choices, and no one's going to second-guess you. And I guess the argument could be made that part of the reason he leaves it up to a vote is because many of the people on board are civilians. Yeah, that's also that's something that's a, a good thing to think about. But he doesn't have to answer to those people. And maybe it says something about him as a character that he's willing to listen to others in that mm-hmm. regard. But he should have just made the decision to attack himself. Yeah, I think that's a good trait, though, that it shows that he is uh, responsive to sort of the needs of his of the civilians of his- in in ways that people like Amro's dad weren't. You know, they were like these civilians are sort of. So you think uh, Bright's the people's candidate here? I would say so a lot more than Ambrose's dad, that's for sure. Yeah. What happened to him, by the way? We never really talked he about it. He got sucked out into space. You'll see later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amro never really comments on it. In the yeah, he doesn't first... seem to be too broken up uh, about it. Uh, he's, he's got a Gundam. He's fine. <laughs> Gundam's his father now. Yeah, really. Oh, actually, that's, that's kind of... Oh. Might need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Gundam is a stand-in for Amro's father, who designed the Gundam. Next time on Gundam and Freud. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's other... I mean, that was the main example of inexperience in this episode, but there's several. Um, Ryu, the pilot of uh, the core fighter, he's one of the last military men still left on the ship. He's got two flight simulation... Or, He's got yeah. two flights in, really. He doesn't know too much what he's doing. He leaves his radio off when they go on an attack, so Bright and the cr- bridge crew can't even contact him. Yeah. It's, there's no excuse No, there's that. no excuse for that. That's I feel like um, in a state. natural military setting, he'd be severely reprimanded for something like that. Oh, definitely, yeah. But due to circumstances, they just kind of brush it off for now. Um, Amro even catches a mistake Ryu makes here where he's flying too high that the enemy will spot them mm-hmm. and tells him to get down. I think it it all does a lot actually to uh, highlight Amro's abilities as a pilot and mm-hmm. not only is the mobile suit technologically superior to most of the things that they're going to encounter mm-hmm. but Amro himself has sort of an inclination for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He thinks to himself immediately the best approach for attack would be with the sun at their backs. With that that being the case, the enemy can't really get a clear shot at him, and that's kind of a stroke of brilliance for a 16-year-old who just got in this thing <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, really. You're talking about using the high ground and your environment to your advantage. That's some Sun Tzu shit. <laughs> so, let's see. Some other mistakes. Uh... Hayato and um, 
Kai. Oh, yeah, they don't know how to contact the bridge. They don't know how to, how to even fire the thing, really. Yeah, communication sort of gone by the wayside here. Um, but, again, everyone's trying. Everyone's doing their best. Mm-hmm. Trying to make the best of a poor and chaotic situation. Yeah, like, doesn't... Because after Kai and Hayato can't do that, Hayato comes back. Because aren't they, aren't they at first trying to man the guns in the white base, and they go back to getting the gun tank? Right. Because Hayato it says, like... Better. Yeah, I can I can use this better, and it's also more advantage. So you're right. Everybody's trying. So even though they don't know how to contact the bridge, it's like, well, you know, I have I have these skills that I think could be useful, maybe more in the gun take. How about we do that? So nobody's just giving up. Right. And for me, it's going to be interesting to see these characters develop through the series as they go from a cobbled together group of civilians and military personnel who are just trying to survive as they're pursued to a group of experienced combat veterans who are some of the most effective units in this war mm-hmm. we're looking at. I'm assuming that's what happens, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the, Good assessment. That, that's what happened in other Gundam shows. <laughs> so, going to back to the design aspect... Oh, wait, before you go to the design, what about the, um, the exchange that Bright has with... What was it, Sela in the elevator? Or is that the... Yes, yes. There was an interesting exchange there between the two where he kind of shows how uncertain he is. Yeah. When we talked about it earlier, we said that uh, to some degree or another, Sailor's one of the only people who's got her stuff together. Yeah. And she's not impulsive to any degree, but she is making quick, quick and thoughtful decisions for the best of the people around her. And Bright... We sort of see the chink in his armor here. He's very stoic in these first couple episodes. Mm-hmm. With Amro, he's pretty stern, mm-hmm. and he's doing the best he can to show that he is the leader here, but Sela sees right through it to that, some degree. Yeah, that was a really good weak moment for him, and I'm trying to f- f- remember what specifically... Oh, I think it was I've Never Been in Space Before. Yeah. This is my first time, I guess, what was it, in a, on a ship in space, and I right. thought it was like... It's like, wait, really? Because <laughs> he had this great, at the end of the first episode, he had this great, really stern, fatherly exchange with Amro, and it looked like he had everything together. And then the first, this, the beginning of this episode, we have him coming. He's like, like, I've never really been in space before. <laughs> it's quite weird, ain't it? <laughs> it's interesting that he chooses Sela as the kind of the person. That... Yeah, yeah. Well, he's probably... Like you said, all that's weighing him on him a lot, so he was kind of using this time probably to just be like, probably blow some steam off a little bit. And I, I guess Sayla maybe didn't uh, <laughs> reciprocate, reciprocate as he would have thought. Like, isn't this crazy? We're, we're in a life-or-death situation here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's what he was trying to do, or if he was just more or less trying to make small talk and yeah. get his mind off things. But it's kind of like, really, dude? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, first time it's... Really? <laughs> but all this um, is actually making me a pretty big fan of Bright at this point. The fact that he has moments like that. Mm-hmm. He's not perfect, but he's doing the best he can, just like everyone. Yeah, this watching these first few episodes again highlights for me how much I like the original Gundam cast compared to, say, oh, Zeta Gundam's cast or... You're looking at me like I'm supposed to understand that. No, I just, it's, there's some anger there when I say that, I guess, but. Maybe we'll see it later. I'm not saying we'll cover those in the future, but 
Who knows? I'd yeah. do a blurb or two, mm -hmm. I'll say. So, getting back to the design, I'm a big fan of the design in this episode because it shows a creativity amongst the animation staff, and I mean that in the background and setting. You look at Lu uh, Luna 2, the Federation stronghold, as sort of our setting here, at least the exterior of it, and it works well for the battle. When they're in space, I think it can oftentimes be a crutch in animation because space is a big void and you throw a black screen on it and put some stars in it and there you've got your you've got your background mm -hmm. easy to do all you have to do is animate what's in it but no they actually think well we could use the base itself mm -hmm. we could use that as a means of a battleground for this episode and they do it well like the gun tank rolling across it uh, going and trying to get in that perfect moment where the horizon of the asteroid allows them to see the Xeon ships and mm -hmm. allows them to get a clear line of fire. Amro doing things like using the sun to his advantage. There's a lot of um, creative things as far as that goes. And even though the animation might not necessarily be top-notch here, they are doing some things that are interesting. You can cop out easily, I feel, on a show like this as far as the the drawing and the artwork goes. Yeah, you can just have them fly at each other and say they're fighting and then give them to, you know, yell yell things at each other. And mm -hmm. it's pretty much it. But they decide to go through a whole, like you just said, a whole uh, tactical aspect of the battle. That, of the battle that kind of elevates it, I think. And I think a lot of Gundam shows and mecha shows in general are guilty of that sort of thing, just having them fight. Mm -hmm. And this one, again, I th might be Tomino's need to have things based in reality, but having military tactics on display here is really another way of showing that, okay, this, this has its focus here. Mm -hmm. It's got it. It's grounded in reality. It's showing that there's a reason these robots are fighting, and it's showing there's logic behind the robots fighting mm -hmm. that you you don't get to see elsewhere. So one thing we hadn't talked about before that I wanted to get into now, since we see it more prominently, is the white base's design. And like the Gundam, I think the color scheme and the drawing of the white base in general is meant to be a safe haven and really meant to gain your sympathy. Mm -hmm. It's for everyone in this episode on the Federation side or who are part of Side side 7? Yeah. The Side 7 colony. Um, it's sanctuary, and it's clearly displayed like that. I mean, it looks like a white stallion. I mean, how, how much safer can you get? It's rescuing these people. Yeah, that also, it has the, I think we still have the, the twinkling... Little stars that surround it in this right. episode too. The sparkles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some other things with it. I think it's funny, but you thought it was a nice touch. Uh, the white base is uh, steering. Yeah, the ship wheel. Yeah. yeah, I think that's another. I talked about sort of the whole logical design of everything in that episode. In in the previous episode about the design of the futuristic stuff, and I just don't think that people realized really how you steer a spaceship and it's you have tiny little thrusters on every side of it and you just use a little thrust one way or the other to move it because inertia will just carry you you don't really have wind resistance but 
people didn't really know that. So I think just saying, yeah, you just pretty much steer it like a ship is a good way of telling people like, oh, this is how this thing moves. Because <laughs> the I rudders, mean, you know, you change the sails. <laughs> exactly. And you the wind <laughs> and it blows you one way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, I think it's also it's a callback to to Space Battleship Yamato, which is a big series, like, I think four years ago before this aired. So I think they also have, like, a ship's wheel in their cabin, too. Power so. to them. Power yeah. to them, I guess. <laughs> but couldn't they have made it, like, white or metallic? No, it's a wooden... It's a wooden ship's wheel, yeah. <laughs> like, see a pirate ship or something. Yep. Or a 19... Or a, Sorry, 19, uh, a 1660s clipper ship (laughs) making the run around the African horn. (laughs) At any rate, I think this is actually a good place to close out. We've gotten two episodes in, and a couple things. I think we're going to be retooling the format a bit, just seeing how many episodes we can do in one show, and that number may vary depending on what there is to discuss in these episodes and I guess the relative length of each episode as far as what happens in it. A few more things. We just got our iTunes affiliation up so you can find us there now. You can find Ooh. us on Sap Yeah. <laughs> Good for that. Probably be the easiast place to go for downloads. Mm-hmm. Our RSS feed is up on SoundCloud. You can reach us there. You can reach us on Stitcher. And again... Any comments, questions, please send them to themechacast at gmail.com. Right now, um, you uh, message us. I'll be sure to read your question on the, um, on the show, especially if it warrants discussion, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I think I really want to open up a larger discussion with these shows because I think that it warrants them. I mean, we just talked for, what, like 30 minutes about two episodes, so I think, and it's only two of us, so I think everybody else out there could really come up with some great other discussion points for it, or, or weigh in, was, should Bright have put things up to a vote, you know, stuff like that. So, one more time, rate us on iTunes, The MechaCast, and email us at themechacast at gmail.com. Thank you.